Dear brothers and sisters, the basis of our meeting together this morning, as we all understand, is remembrance. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And that command was given by our master to his disciples and so to us as he entered the final scenes of his probationary life. Jesus knew as he gave that commandment that he was about to enter particularly into that conflict with the ruling powers of his days. He was going to enter voluntarily. He entered those final days and hours in the knowledge of all that lay ahead, the pain, the suffering, the ignominy, and finally the crucifixion which he would experience. He was going to shed his blood for the remission of sins, and so he said, do this in remembrance of me. And yet he also knew that beyond that struggle, there lay for him the prospect of unending life, honour, power and glory, such as the human mind is scarcely able to comprehend. And so we've come together once again to remember Jesus. And very many are the lovely aspects of his character upon which we often meditate around these emblems of bread and wine. We think of his sympathy, of his kindness. We remember his understanding, his mercy and his forgiveness. We reflect upon his purity of thought and particularly at the breaking of bread meeting, we think about the way in which Jesus willingly offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. We recall that he was a man of sorrows and much acquainted with grief. He's our elder brother. He is our high priest who has been touched with the feeling of our infirmity. He is our sacrifice and our mediator. And surely these are aspects of his character which will always produce in us a sympathetic reaction as we reflect upon him and what he has done for us. And these reflections and these meditations stir us to love him the more. They comfort and assure us in our times of adversity and weakness. Yes, we think and meditate and reflect and go away thanking God and taking courage. But there are other aspects of this picture, more difficult perhaps for us to grasp, more difficult to retain in our memories, but which we do need to think about. And these aspects also can help us to lift our minds above the imperfections of the present state to a contemplation of the great eternal himself and the relationship which Jesus had to his Father. And because we are mortal, these things are difficult to grasp, but we shouldn't make that a reason for not trying to 
think about them often. And we realize then what a wonderful hope we have become associated with. It is a way in which we should remember him. The aspect of his life which relates to his position now in relation to ourselves and to our Heavenly Father and the position which we hope to have in relation to Jesus in the kingdom of God, the final outcome of things, if in his mercy we are accounted worthy. These are the things which will constitute for us the fulfillment of all our hopes, everlasting life, the glory of the kingdom of God in all its facets and aspects. These are facts, glorious facts, which, if we will allow our minds to meditate upon them, will surely elevate us above the present and the mundane things of life. These are the things, the things of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. These are things that will broaden our vision and help us to assess the present at its true value. As we've read in Hebrews this morning, the prospect of divine nature lies before us as a result of the association between the Father and the Son. And so this letter opens, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Tremendous things. Can we grasp something of the loftiness of this opening statement? Yes, it was so that God had revealed himself to those who had gone before by various means, by dreams, by angels, through the prophets, by signs and by wonders. And yet all these things, wonderful as they were, were inferior to the great work of manifestation by a son, God manifest in flesh. And such was Jesus Christ. We're so used to examining the doctrinal significance of this subject of God manifestation that it's all too easy to overlook the great condescension of the almighty God of the universe in this matter. Here is the divine mind and purpose focused in the nature which we possess today produced as the result of the direct divine power operating on one of our nature in order that the purpose of God with the human race might be accomplished. And we know from our reading of the New Testament how the Almighty operated upon Mary so that the child she conceived was the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, a tremendous thing. Here was one born by the direct will and action of the Almighty, one whose whole manner of life was going to be an expression in human flesh of the character 
of God himself. What condescension on the part of the Almighty there is here. What a marvellous scheme for the emancipation of the human race from the bondage of sin and corruption. And this was God's way, the way by which we, in his mercy, may be saved from the bondage of sin and death and be related to the glorious liberty of the children of God, which in due time will mean everlasting life and a place in God's kingdom. And because of God's work through his Son, we can all be in the kingdom of God. Well, we can't fully appreciate what has been done for us here. We can just stand and marvel at God's wisdom and indeed God's compassion to make the relationship between himself and fallen man so close that God's only begotten Son should be one who should live amongst mankind. Here was one who, when he came, manifested as the seed of the woman, coming in the line of David, according to the Old Testament covenants, although born not of the will of the flesh, but of God, and thus a magnificent exhibition of the greatness of the eternal in human flesh. Yet he was not screened or concealed. Jesus, the Son of God, walked among men and women, associating with all people of his age in Israel. He was not a man apart. He was one who felt with them and lived with them. Just think what a privilege it must have been to have been able to travel with him, to listen to his gracious words, to be like those disciples of old, to know something day by day of the intimacy of his association. What an honour was here. The very son of the great eternal walking amongst men and being pleased to associate with the humblest of mankind, even those who were rejected by their neighbours. Those who were prepared to listen to his words and accept his teaching. What an honour that was. Well, in these divine things, which are very lofty, it seems to require the mind of one like the Apostle John to express the privilege which he shared. And you will recall how John wrote, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which was seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. So wrote John, reflecting on his experiences of walking with Jesus. There is a privilege expressed by one who had been with him as a close companion, one who, as it were, had caught something of the wonder and the privilege of close association with Jesus, the Son of God. But the condescension of the Almighty didn't end even there. God has appointed Jesus as the one through whom his purpose with the earth will be fulfilled. Whom he hath appointed, 
wrote the apostle in our chapter in Hebrews, heir of all things, by whom, or on account of whom, he made the ages. But even more than that, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So, having fulfilled the work appointed, Jesus was lifted up to heaven, admitted to the Father's right hand, a position of great privilege, of honour and of power, the highest name even in the heavens, apart from the great eternal himself. Well, we try to contemplate the glory of being in the Father's presence. We think as far as we can of the brightness of that glory which no man can see with mortal eyes, almost inconceivable to our finite minds. We think of the glory, the honour, the association with the angels which stand in his presence and it is really beyond the finite mind to fully appreciate the honour of that position which Jesus, our Master, our Elder Brother, now holds at the right hand of the Father. And yet, even Jesus was not exalted to that position until he had by himself purged our sins, and we know too that he went through all that he did for his salvation as well as ours. And this associates us, in a measure, even now, with the glory of God. And so, going on in verse 4, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Yes, here was a question of divine sonship. Sonship not by adoption, but by begettal. And because of that, he stood in the position of having an inheritance, a more excellent name, even than the angels, powerful as they were and are. There is no honour so great on any in heaven as is bestowed upon Jesus, no, not even on the angels, there is no honour so great as that held by the Son in the presence of the Father. And then, as we've read, the Apostle goes on to emphasise the glory of the position of Christ, and he brings to our notice a number of quotations from the Old Testament, which do in fact grow in their brilliance by this setting in which he puts them. So we read in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And you'll notice perhaps, if you have a margin, it says, When he bringeth again. And Brother Thomas translates it, When he bringeth back again. And so here we have a reference to the glory of the future when Jesus comes back to the earth again 
And when it will be said, let all the angels of God worship him. This is the one who is our elder brother. The one whom we remember this morning. The one who is the first begotten of the father. Let all the angels of God worship him. Now this is in fact a quotation from one of the Psalms. Let's look back at Psalm 97 for a minute or two and read the verse in its context. Psalm 97. Psalm 97, and we'll see here what light it throws upon the prophecy of the time when the kingdom is established and the glory of God will be manifest in the earth. Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigneth, let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. You see there that reference to the Yahweh name, Lord, the Lord reigneth, to the time when Jesus and his brethren and sisters will reign, the kingdom of God will be established, and the Yahweh name, he who shall be mighty ones, fully developed. Clouds and darkness are about him, righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. A fire goeth before him, and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlightened the world, the earth saw and trembled. And surely here we have a picture of Jesus and his brethren and sisters in power and glory, meeting out the judgment written upon the wicked nations and giving justice to those who will obey. Verse 5. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. And we can connect that with the verse in Isaiah. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low, and all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. We go on in the psalm, verse 6. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. The heavens the ruling powers of the millennial age. And then verse 7, Confounded be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols, worship him, all ye gods. A reference there to the angels, all ye gods, mighty ones, angels. And so the psalmist goes on in verse 8, Zion heard and was glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of thy judgments, O Lord. For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. And that is the reference picked up in Hebrews. Yes, the angels are in a position of great privilege. But perhaps even more importantly, as far as we are concerned, they are ministering spirits helping spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Dear brethren and sisters, we can be absolutely certain that God does appoint angels to look after us. 
But great and important as their work is, they could have no part in the actual work of redemption. For that was a work which could be carried out by one of our race only. And God did it through the person of his own son, whom we are here to remember in our breaking of bread meeting. And because he did do it, the glory and the power and the honour of which we read in that psalm is assigned to Jesus by right. But meanwhile, he is set on the right hand of the Father in heaven, the position of greatest honour in the heavens, apart from the Creator himself. Such is the exalted position and office, even now, of the one whom we have come here to remember today. And we should remember him because of the glory of the position which he has now, because of the glory to which we are related through his work for the future, because of all that he has done for us. Yes, we are related now to the Son of God and through him to the Almighty himself. But it is by adoption through the blood which has been shed by this only begotten Son of God. When we think of the prospect that it is he who has now sat for some 2,000 years at the right hand of the Almighty, the great eternal in the heavens, in unapproachable light of which we sang in our opening hymn, here is Jesus, the Son of God. Here is the one with whom we hope to be associated in the day of his power and glory on the earth, the kingdom of God on earth, and we can all be in the kingdom of God. What would it mean to us to have then as our closest companion and friend the one who is the closest relative of the Father, for put in human terms, that is what it is, the one who would have been at the Father's right hand for some 2,000 years with all the brilliance of the divine presence. This is the one whom we know as our elder brother, as our saviour, as our friend. So come now back to Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Let's break off there for a moment. The law of Moses... Paul is saying, had been received by the disposition of angels, but our hope, our law, has been confirmed by no lesser one than the actual Son of God, who now is even higher than the angels. This one who suffered and bled and died, now our resurrected Lord in the heavens, the one who has obtained for us eternal salvation 
and everything we need has been given us in order that we might have faith in what God has done and will yet do for us through his Son, the Lord Jesus. It is through him and his work that we can all be in the kingdom of God. And then the Apostle goes on to emphasize the three aspects of his work in relation to this purpose and the things of which he has been speaking. Chapter 2, verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 6, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honour, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Notice the three stages outlined there in the work of Christ in verse 7. First stage, thou madest him a little lower than the angels. And then the second stage, thou crownest him with glory and honour. And the third stage, Thou didst set him over the works of thy hands. And for that third stage of Jesus' work, we now wait. For that would involve a manifestation of the sons and daughters of God, Christ's brethren and sisters, including we here, meeting in Telscombe, November 2015. Well, the psalmist had marvelled, as the apostle remarks, and what was it that he had marvelled at? How often we quote these words in relation to the positions of mortal man as compared with the heavens and the work of the Creator. You remember how that psalm goes. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Now we notice that in this letter to the Hebrews, under inspiration, the writer applies this to the Lord Jesus Christ, to he who was made a little lower than the angels, and why? For the suffering of death, that he might taste death for every man. There is a reference to our master in the days of his weakness, when he possessed that same mortal, frail nature as we do today. Why this great condescension on the part of the Almighty who has created all these wonderful works in the heavens and in the earth? Well, surely, because this one here referred to was the only begotten of the Father, the one through whom those many sons and daughters will be brought to glory, and we are included among them. And so we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. And it was because of his obedience to his Father's will that Jesus now has the honour of sitting at the right hand of the Almighty Creator. His exaltation to glory depended, yes it depended, upon his association with human weakness and triumphing over it and this required that he should taste death for our sakes. Verse 9, 
But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And so he did it for us. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons, and daughters of course, unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Yes, even in all his present glory, we are still reminded of Jesus' association with human weakness and his triumph over it. And here is the intimacy of our association with the great Son of God. Great though his position is now, Jesus is still our elder brother. He is still our high priest. He is still our mediator. He is still able to sympathise with us in our weaknesses and trials and difficulties, often of a very private nature. Jesus knows what it is like to have to struggle with the flesh, but through him and through his work, our sins will be forgiven. Verse 17. Wherefore, in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. We're all included. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succour them that are tempted. Wonderful things, dear brethren and sisters. Sometimes the joy of the prospect of the reward in the kingdom of God seems to elude us. It's easy to think we'll never be in the kingdom. Dear brethren and sisters, we shouldn't think like that. Because of the work of Jesus, we can all be in the kingdom. And when our daily readings direct our thoughts to these very lofty matters, let's really try to lift our minds to a contemplation of these eternal and glorious things to which we are all related. Jesus endured the cross, as we remember this morning, because of the joy that was set before him. And here is the joy in prospect set before him and before us too, that we might be with Jesus in the kingdom of God in the day of his full power and glory on the earth. Then the divine nature in all its wonders will be ours. The prospect of unending joy and gladness through those ages which are yet to dawn will be before us. We can all be in the kingdom of God. And now we remember Jesus once again in the breaking of bread and may it be that in the day that is coming which could be today he will not be ashamed to recognize us as his brethren and his sisters.